John chapter 4, verse 27. I want to just talk about vision today. Sometimes when you go to a church and they're talking about vision, it's a bullet point of things to do, um, things that we should be doing. Somebody would say, you should be doing this as a church. Or we are not doing these things as a church. You might hear that. Or you might, have, you might hear a message that kind of leaves you like, wow, I, I really am not doing very much as a Christian. That's not the purpose of this message, and that's not how God motivates us. God does not motivate you and I to do things uh, out of the need to do something. God always begins from another perspective, and I want to pray that this would really be fresh to us. But I was thinking about this, meditating on it, and thinking about opportunities for us the next 12 months, and you know, forgive me, I like to think big. For some people, that just could be like, you know, like some people, and I need these people in my life to balance me out. Some people just like to think about, hey, let's just get through today. <laughs> let's, just, let's just figure out what we'd eat for lunch today, you know. And I need that. That's why, my, that's why God gave me my wife, who, um, who is, is my wife, and not my assistant pastor, but she's my wife. And I love that. And she, um, she's such a godsend to me. Actually, um, 26 years ago today, Five. 25 years ago today, yeah, 25 years ago today, God spoke to both of us at the same time at 10 o'clock at night about us marrying each other, but we didn't tell each other until like a year later. God spoke to us at the same time. And so this is one of our, we have many different anniversaries. This is one of them, so... <laughs> We're going to celebrate our anniversary all year. So I'm sure many of you married couples have those kind of anniversaries, right? Those kind of times where, you're, where you remember God speaking to you, those times when you made those decisions, like you're going to pull the trigger. Well, let's not say pull the trigger. That's not a good term in marriage. <laughs> when you're going to pop the question, right? or maybe, yeah, something like that. But in John chapter 4, verse 27, I just think about the simplicity of vision. I just want to say, first of all, that this is, we are a great core group here. This is an awesome group. And I just am so blessed by all of you. You know, we're glad that Hamilton and, and, uh, and Amina are back. We miss them. It's funny, when someone's missing, you just feel it. You just, don't you feel it? You're just like, ah, you almost feel like there's a hole there. And uh, it's just amazing how people just kind of get into your life, you know, over just a, few, a period of months and, even Lexi, we miss Lexi. Can you believe that? We missed her. <laughs> no, I'm just joking with you. I'm just joking with you. No, we, we miss you when you're not here. But, you know, when we think of this, Eduardo, oh, yeah, oh my gosh. He's going to be thinking of Eduardo and his family have been on a mission to South America and just about everywhere down there, preaching, teaching, exhorting, um, uh, assisting Pastor Stan. Um, Collins down there, and we're going to hear from him next week at the offering a little bit about his time there, and then I'm just going to let him preach um, in a couple of weeks the whole message because I know he's just full of content and joy. And I know we kept calling you pastor when you were gone; it just kept slipping. We were like, "God, just bless Pastor Edward." Oh, wait a minute—he's not ordained, but we just maybe that's—I don't know—prophetic in some way. But we're so glad that they're back, and we really missed you guys a lot. Jesus, Jesus here in John chapter 4, I don't want this to be a long message, but in John chapter 4, Jesus is at the well with a woman, 
a Samaritan woman. And it's very interesting the way the chapter begins in John chapter 4. <clears throat> I always like to look at context. Don't you like to look at context when you're looking at a verse? Because you never want to privately interpret something. And the context here is the grace of God. And by the way, that's our core message here at Evergrace. Hence the name, <laughs> Evergrace. It's really, we just, I believe that that is the core message that Paul preached, the grace of God, the finished work of Jesus Christ, new creation. And that righteousness for us is something that we, we stand in by faith through grace in the word of God that he has made us righteous. And that is our core message. And this is what we see. And when we read the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament from a grace perspective, we're going to understand the nature of God better. We're going to understand the power in our Christianity and not the labor of our Christianity. And so John chapter 4 is really about the power of the grace of God. And imagine the scene. Jesus walks 24 miles. He's on his way to somewhere else, but he chooses to take a, take a route that is just not uh, acceptable for Jews to take on that road through that way. It's kind of like you deciding to go to a, another part of town and you decide to go through a part of town that just is not a good place for you to go to. It's not suggested. And Jesus here is in that situation. He's walking with his disciples. And I don't know if his disciples were always knowing what was going on. They probably did not know. And so Jesus is walking with his disciples en route. And he says, I must go through Samaria. I love that. That word must means that there was urgency. There was a sense of mission. That Jesus had a mission, a sense of I must do this. And this was not something that he was driven to do because vision is never a driving spirit. Okay, You know what a driving spirit is? It's when you and I live in a sense of deficiency in who we are in Christ and we're motivated by guilt and we're motivated by a poor self-image. We're motivated by I'm not doing enough. And that's just a, that's dead works. The book of Hebrews describes that as works that just have no power. And so that's not God's will for us today. When we talk about vision, I don't want us to get stirred up and like in the energy of the flesh. I just want us to hear from God, listen, and be led by God. And Jesus here is walking and he says, I must. There's this. And what was the must of Jesus? We're going to talk about that in a minute. It was the love and the compassion of God. That God so loved the world that he sent his son. Jesus came with a mission, you know. I think when I go to HEB or I go to Walmart or wherever I go to buy something, I just have this sense in my heart that, that you know, maybe there's someone there that I can share the gospel with. My wife and I were at Costco the other day, and we were buying all this food. And uh, they were asking us, like, is this going to be a party or something? And I said, yeah, I'm gonna, our church is going to have a party <laughs> with sandwiches and water. And, and she goes, oh, what kind of church? And every time we go to Costco, there's always this moment where we have an opportunity to share, share about us and who we are. And the, the cashier that was cashing us out, she says, I'm going to come to your church. I'm going to come and be praying for her. And his disciples came back. And, and so they find Jesus talking to this woman. He walks 24 miles. He, she, he, he ends up at a well, sits down at a well. <clears throat> he is very hot, probably. And a woman comes there with a pot to fill her water pot with water. We know the story here. And he begins to speak with her and has a conversation with her and begins to discuss with her etern eternity and spiritual, her spiritual need. 
And when the disciples came back in verse 27, by the way, we're not showing the verses really on the screen here because we really want to encourage everybody to use their Bibles. Um, I'm the same way. I, I would just, I would, I would default to the digital or the screen, but I just want to use my Bible as much as I can. John, if you have one. If you don't have one, we have one we can give you for free. John 4, verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? Why, do they say, why are they marveling that he's talking to a woman? Because we know in Jewish culture that it was improper for a Jewish man to be speaking to a woman, let alone a woman from this race, from, from a Samaritan race. And so his disciples are walking up there like, what is going on here? Like, and they're like, and one commentator said, they probably didn't want to get really involved with what was going on there. They just kind of want to just leave it the way, leave it the way it was. And so the woman left her water jar, <clears throat> verse 28, and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And she's not saying this as maybe this is the Christ. She's saying this is the Christ. And verse 30, they went out of town and they, were, they went out of the town and were coming to him. I was thinking about all the people that were coming and most of them probably were men. And one... One, one writer says it was probably because there were some of the guys who heard her say, come and see the man who told me everything that I ever did. And they're wondering, I wonder what he knows about me and her life. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're heading out there to find out, like, let's hear what's, what's really going on here. And they went out to town and they were coming to him. So in verse 30, there's a large group of people coming out to see Jesus after this woman met with him at the, at the, at the well. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat, in verse 31. <clears throat> but he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In verse 35, do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, Jesus says, I tell you, lift up your eyes. And when he's saying that, I'm picturing in my mind... Jesus is pointing to that crowd of people coming from that little village, led by that woman. Look, the fields are white for harvest. There are two interesting things going on in this conversation with Jesus and the disciples and Jesus with the woman. <clears throat> but before we talk about those perspectives, I just want to say that when we lose sight of who Jesus is and his grace and his love, everything in our life becomes about our needs and our appetites. I think whenever we lose sight of God and his amazing grace and how great he is, all of us, including myself in this room, our life is going to dwindle down to worry, anxiety, and wondering, how am I going to fill my needs and how am I going to fill my appetites? And this is where the disciples were at. These were disciples. These were chosen by Jesus Christ, and they're struggling with this. Um, when the woman at first saw Jesus at the well, there was a, if you read the story here, you see uh, several, there's a struggle here going on in, in the conversation with the woman and Jesus. And some of the issues that were coming up were racial issues. She said, why are you a Jew talking to me, a Samaritan? And this is something that we face today. Jesus here transcends all of that. And he makes the issue, God, the love of God, and the eternal life that God has to offer this woman. 
And then also there was another question that she said, you, you are a man and I'm a woman, and this is not, this is not acceptable. And so she also had a gender issue with this conversation with Christ. And do things change very much today? Do things change very much in conversations? No, they don't. And we see here the same problem as many, many years ago as we see today in our society. Jesus says here in John verse 114, well, not Jesus doesn't say it. John says it about Jesus, that, that the word of Christ became flesh. And I'm reading this to you from the Amplified human incarnate and tabernacled, fixed his tent of flesh, lived among us. And we actually saw his glory, his honor, his majesty, such glory as only begotten son receives from his father, full of grace, favor, loving kindness, and truth. Jesus Christ here, whenever I think about Jesus Christ and all that he is, I think about this verse in John 1 verse 17. This is the Christ that we need to be so occupied with in the morning when we wake up before our, all of our crushing things that we need to do. How many of you ever wake up in the morning and immediately think about your day and what you got to do and you just feel like you got a ton, you got like, you got two tons sitting on your chest before you get out of bed. I know that happens to me a lot. There's a lot going on in people's lives. The first thing that we have to look to, we have to look at in Jesus Christ, I mean, in the morning is Jesus Christ, that he is full of grace, he is full of truth, he is full of glory. He is full of capacity. He's full of love. And he's full of compassion. And he knows how to transcend these gender issues. And he knows how to transcend these racial issues. He knows how to transcend cultural issues. He knows how to transcend traditional issues. Traditional, religious, traditional issues. And you know what happens? I love these verses. And we see in verse 13, I'm kind of skipping around here. But in verse 13, Jesus says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, and he's pointing at the well, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. How many of you here in this room can think of different kinds of wells that people return to over and over and over in their life? I just thought of like different kinds of things that people return to, even believers that we return to over and over and over because we are thirsty. We're thirsty in our soul. Sometimes when I drive on 45... I see these signs, stay thirsty. You ever see those signs, stay thirsty? Which is just a horrible sign. I mean, it's like, I thought that's what only the world can offer. The world can only offer thirst. And they can only encourage thirst. But Jesus Christ here defines what this woman's problem is. And he defines what our problem can be very easily. Spiritual emptiness, thirst that can be created because we go to this well, whatever that well may, may be. I think of... Just in Philadelphia, I remember <clears throat> meeting people very often. And it's a very interesting culture up there. Uh, just, a, just a very loose society. And, you know, people on these dating apps, they're just going, oh, they just go back and back and back. And they're looking for something to fill their soul or someone to fill their soul. And they just go back and they go back and they go back. And there's just a crazy, I don't remember what the percentage is, but there's a crazy percentage of people that actually finds someone, a very small percentage. And it's very interesting that the world can only offer thirstiness. Jesus here says, but ever whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of, of water welling up to eternal life. And in verse 15, this is where the woman responds. And she says, the woman said to him, sir, <clears throat> now there's respect there, see? Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty 
or have to come here to draw water. Isn't that amazing? I think when we look at the needs of the world, the needs of this city, the needs of our community, the needs of our neighborhoods, we're going to see thirsty people. We're going to see people going to the well over and over and over, whatever that well is, whether we work in a nice office somewhere or whether we're working in hard labor. We are going to see thirsty people that go to that well, whatever that well is, over and over and over. And what people need to know is not to not to go to that well. They need to know you have a need and the only thing, the only way that that need can be filled is through Jesus Christ, grace and truth. Grace and truth, the fullness of Christ. And this woman says, sir, give me this water. Give me this water. That's the way the woman, first the woman sees Jesus. Maybe she's even thinking, maybe this is the next guy in my life. I don't know what she's thinking. She's had these, she had a very interesting life. But then her, her whole vision of who Jesus Christ changed when he began to have a spiritual conversation with her and he began to get through all of her concepts and she began to see who he was. She had a proper vision of who Jesus was. And I think that some of us in the room, it's going to take years for some of us, and it's okay, but it's going to take a, for some of us years for us to clearly see Jesus Christ in certain areas of our life. I don't know, some of our backgrounds, there may be a lot of walls there, religious backgrounds, whatever backgrounds we have, and those walls may sometimes keep Jesus out. But it could take some time for, for us to really see who Jesus is. But every time we go to that well, Jesus is going to be there, and he's going to ask us the same question. Jesus, the disciples saw Jesus in, in a different way. They saw Jesus as a hungry man. They're, like, they're following Jesus here, and they see, you know, he's hungry. We're hungry. He must be hungry. So they went out to grab some food. And when Jesus responded, my, I'm not hungry. My meat is to do the will of the Father. Someone could hear that and maybe say, well, is Jesus being neglectful for his, his personal needs or the needs of uh, his, his body? Or is he just being irresponsible or is he just being radical or neglectful? I would say, no, he's not. What he is doing here is, is he's giving, uh, he's making a statement that, that he had a priority in his life. And his priority in his life was the will of God. I just remember years and years ago as a Bible college student, I was on the verge of making a bad decision that would take me out of the will of God. I remember just our pastor preached a message about this verse right here. My meat is to do the will of the Father. And God spoke to me so deeply. And I was thinking I was going to make a decision because of need and not because of the will of God. And I remember thinking about that decision. And it wasn't a bad decision. It was actually maybe a good decision by the world's eyes. I was going to do something that would take me out of God's geographical will. And you know something? I heard that message and I heard these words. And I just remember God speaking to me. The need of your soul is going to be filled with, with the presence of God, the presence of his grace, the presence of his truth, and the presence of his will. And that's when, you're going to, that's when we're going to experience the greatest satisfaction. Vision in ministry is not neglecting those things that we have responsibilities over, but understanding what our priorities are. We all have a lot of responsibilities. We got back to schools coming up, right? I mean, this is a, got a, I mean, how many of you guys are just, I don't know, I know our neighbors are just, we don't have kids yet, but I mean, it's a lot to get, it's a lot to get done, isn't it? I mean, it's just a lot to do. I mean, there's tons of stuff. I mean, there's registrations, there's stuff to buy, there's all this information to find out, right? 
And I think that we're not called to neglect that, but to understand that Jesus' position or God's will, God's value system, takes priority over that, meaning that if that was my only life, if my kids were my only life, or if my job or my career was my only life, or ministry was my only life, ministering, then what, you know what would happen? I'd become empty, and I'd, 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 I'd go find a well somewhere, and that would not be good. I'd be going to that well, just drawn from that well. When we look at what Jesus did, why did Jesus do what he did? Um, I thought about that, you know, yesterday, the day before. We were at this homeless park and just thinking about that, these people. You know, why did Jesus do what he did? He just loved people. He loves us. When we think about, you know, you can look at people that are in a very difficult situation like the homeless and think, you know, I'm not there. I may be, you know, maybe I'm better off. But as far as a spiritual plane goes, we are all on that same level, and we are all very needy. And I was just looking at these guys and just thinking, you know, maybe I have a place to live, but I have need in my life like these people have need in another way. And that need can only be met by Jesus Christ. And this, this, this is what motivated Jesus Christ. He saw people. He saw sheep without a shepherd. He saw their needs. And when Jesus came into people's lives, he changed their life, like this woman's, in, this woman's life in John 4, and led them into who they were in the kingdom of God and in the finished work. Jesus was not first dictating to people what they need to do. That was not what he was doing. Jesus wasn't walking around. He didn't go to the woman at the well and say, you know what, you need to first go into town, get all your husbands and bring them out here, and then we'll talk. No, Jesus is not dictating to this woman First, what was she was supposed to do? Jesus first dictates to, first doesn't dictate, but first shares with this woman her need, and he started there. You know, if there are, if there's are, if there are wells in our life or in people's lives that we work with or here in Spring, that there are wells that we see people visiting all the time, we need to first start with their spiritual need and talk about that and about who Jesus Christ is and how he can fill that need before we start talking about people like, you got to stop doing that and stop doing this. Um, our job in ministry is to really to point to people to where the waters are. You know, that's what we do. We just say, you know something? The waters, where are the waters? Well, they're, you know, they're, see, they're here. They're, you know, they're here Wednesday. They're, they're here Sunday. They're here wherever we get together in people's homes for fellowship and prayer and, and worship or barbecue. Those are where the waters are. And the woman here, what happens when she hears about who she is in the eyes of God? She leaves her water pot. You know, I think that sometimes we can get really set on telling people what to stop doing. You can't do that. Stop doing that. And I think that morally, that would be something, a knee-jerk reflection, reaction that I could have when I see someone making wrong decisions. I could just say, you know what? You've got to stop doing that. Just stop doing that. Well, that's true. But let's first look at what Jesus did with the woman at the well. He tells her who she is in Christ. He begins to focus on who her, what her need is. And he begins to say, the answer to that need is not more men in your life, but it's it is Jesus. It is me, the, the eternal waters. And that was, those waters will, will, well, will well up and they will overflow. And this is what our ministry is. Um, the woman leaves her pot. I love that. I, that's so symbolic to me. And I, I know you've seen this when you've read this. That here's the pot that she so treasured, that she held on to. Every day, morning and evening, she was going out there with that pot. 
You know, what does that pot represent to us, that jar? It is that capacity that we have for something that is never going to fulfill us. That hunger, that desire, that emptiness, that... And people are out there with this. And I'm, I know you guys know this. I know that we know this. We talk to people all the time. And we know that people are empty. And the only way that people are going to depart from their pots and from their capacities for the thing that can never fill them is to infuse in them who they are in Christ and the eternal life. And this is John chapter 17, uh, John 15, verse, the first couple of verses says, and this is eternal life, to know Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. Eternal life. When you and I fellowship with Jesus Christ, that's eternal life. When we fellowship about, when we read his, I want to challenge some of us here. If you've never read through the Gospels, and I try to do this once a year. I try to read through it. I'm not always successful, but I like to read through the Gospel of Mark. You know, I just like to just read about the life of Jesus and what he's doing. I just like to fill my heart with what he's doing. And when we do that, when we, then I begin to know who he is. Vision and ministry is, happens when our cup is overflowing. You know, what Jesus is doing here is an example of evangelism. And evangelism can morph into something really weird sometimes. It can turn into this really weird thing that's not even God's, God's approach. This is evangelism right here. Jesus sitting down, crossing the gender culture, crossing the, the, the religious um, culture. He's, trans, he's the racial culture. He's, he's transcending all of these cultures and these structures with the purpose to infuse in that woman's life the eternal life of who Jesus Christ is. And when that woman's cup began to fill, you can see it in, that, in chapter 4. The cup starts to fill up. Can't you see it? Like, she started to fill up and fill up and fill up. And then it starts to overflow. And David said, Psalm 23, my cup overflows, right? We, like in our ministry, we like to say that that's ministry. That part of the overflowing cup that's spilling over of abundance and joy and, and peace and, and that love that's inside of us, when that begins to spill over, that's ministry. That's vision. That's, that's what is touching other people's lives. If, we, if Jesus told that woman with an empty cup or an empty jar and say, go out and minister, it just would have been, it would have been dead works. And, and that's not what Jesus has called us to do. Um, that's why Jesus did what he did, and this is why we do what we do. I do what I do here. Sometimes people think, you know, I, I had one time someone tell me in Ukraine, they were going to our Bible school, and he's from another country, and he said, um, I said, you know, what is your long-term goal? What would you like to do? You know, do, are you, have you prayed about what you're thinking about doing? And he said to me, yeah, I'd like to be a pastor in America. I go, really? Why? He goes, yeah, they make a lot of money. <laughs> They're doing really good. I want, to, I want the riches, you know, because all he would see is on TV you know, the riches that some of these pastors have. And why, why do we do what we do? It's not because of emptiness or because of an identity crisis. Sometimes people can latch on to something in ministry because they derive their identity from it, and all of us can do that. Maybe we have just an identity crisis going on in our life, and we see a position, and we see something that we can do in the church, and, we, and we're looking for that significance, which is a basic human need a sense of significance but when we derive our identity from christ when we let the cup fill up with the eternal life of 
the fullness and the glory and the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ, our cup begins to fill up and it begins to overflow. That's when we have the prop, we're at that proper place where we can plug in and be a blessing. Otherwise, I'm going to be just giving somebody my flesh, my, my empty cup. I'm going, to be given, I'm going to be giving people my empty jar and say, you know what? I'm looking for significance. Can you fill that for me? You know, I need you to like clap. I need you to say amen or whatever. You know, these, whatever these things are. It's in every, it's in every human being. And, and you know something, I, I don't know, and I even myself am not sure of my, my motives, and that's because I don't even know my own heart. John, Jeremiah 17, verse 9. I just trust God. I said, God, this is the desire I have in my heart. This is the passion that I have in my heart. I don't know if it's all correct, but I just want to serve you, and I'm going to jump in. Uh, I'm going to just jump right in. And, and that's what Peter did. Peter just jumped right in. He just didn't even analyze himself. He didn't live in psychoanalysis. He didn't, get into, he didn't get too psychologically involved with things. And you know what he did? Jesus on, that's the way I am. Jesus on the way is just kind of showing him the guidelines. And this is what we do. You know, this is why I do what I do. Some people think, I was saying this earlier, some people think that I, you know, it's interesting what people's concept of what a pastor does. You know, uh, in Philadelphia, we were living, you know, our neighbors next door to us, uh, this guy would work all week, hardworking, very successful businessman in downtown Philly. And, and Sunday was his day to mow the lawn. That was his religious, that was just his religion. <laughs> I'm going to mow my lawn and I'm going to trim my bushes and I deserve this. And, and he would see me coming out every Sunday morning, you know, getting, you know, going to church with my wife. And he goes, off to work? <laughs> and uh, he would joke with me like this was my work day. And he was kind of thinking in his mind that, you know, okay, he sits around, probably watches Netflix all week, and you know, he's probably not doing anything, and just on Sunday, he's just, I want to tell you, I'm busy. I'm a busy person. Like, I, I'm on the phone with people overseas. I'm talking to people. I'm meeting with people here in the area. Uh, I'm emailed. There's a lot going on, and, and it doesn't end until, like, evening time. And I just want to say that I do what I do because... I just have, I'm just so filled with the love of God for people. And I don't always love people naturally, but God fills us and fills me with that compassion and that desire to serve. And I just love what I'm doing. And I'm busy and I love being busy. And we do what we do because we are not deriving our identity from what we're doing. And before I talk about some ministry opportunities that, that have appeared to us in the next 12 months, I just want to say we are full, we are content. And we are, we are set apart already. We are complete in Jesus Christ. We are loved by God. And we're not going to be loved by God more if I'm doing something more for God. We are, we are in Colossians chapter 3, we are complete in Christ. So I just want to say, like, as a team here, as a, as a, as a group, in the next 12 months, you know, um, next September, and I know it's down the road a bit, but there, we just have some great opportunities, and we've said this a few times before, but really, I, my prayer during this time is, and I know that we're already functioning as a church. We are a church where two or more are gathered in his name. There am I in the midst. We are called out together. Um, and I, I'm not talking about this church growth movement that we see in the world today. But I'm just talking about the next 12 months, I would like to see the Lord really bind us together as a core, as a team, and he's doing that. For us to get to know each other, and I, I just really want to say to you, every one of you that's in this room and those that are in the Sunday school rooms, 
you have a very important part with what we're doing here. And God has brought us together, uh, not for Pastor Chris, Christian, or not, for, not for, my, for anything that I'm doing or not for my vision, but for what God wants to do in spring through this church. It's not about me and my kingdom, what I'm trying to build. I don't take a paycheck from here, and I say that because the money goes to the mission. And I, I don't gloat in that. I just say that that is just my, that is just my, um, my conviction at this time. Um, we do, we're doing what we're doing here because I just feel the Lord led, led us to spring. I mean, just the way God did it is just so incredible. And I just want to say for a couple minutes some heart-to-heart heart things. You know, a year ago, about a year and a half ago, we came down here to visit the Lions. Was it a year and a half ago? September 2015? Two years ago. Wow, has it been two years ago? And we met them. We just, and when we met with Eduardo and his, and his family, we met with Daphne and her family and um, another family that is in another church that we're from. From, from the East Coast, from our church. And we just came down here to visit, not even thinking about moving here, you know. And we just were here, and God really spoke to us about coming to spring. And I know many of you have the same kind of story about you guys coming here and not, not knowing why you're even here, and then just find out, like, wow, God brought us here. And I just remember God bringing us here and how the Lord began to bless, and God really spoke to my heart about the, the needs here. Um, you know, there are over 200 languages that are spoken in this region. There's over 3,000 people a week that move to the spring in Houston area. 3,000 people a week. I've had pastors tell me that there's a great need for churches and pastors here. I think people think that Houston, the Houston area, which has seven megachurches out of the 10 largest megachurches in the United States, seven of them are here. Someone may say, why is there a need for a church in Houston? Well, just... Walk, drive down the street, <laughs> and you'll see the need. Because <laughs> there's a lot of churches, but I've had people tell me there's not a lot of churches. And there's not a lot of churches. And we want to be a church by the grace of God that's preaching the grace message, the message of the grace of God, the finished work, positional truth, who we are in Jesus Christ, sanctification through the Holy Spirit, through the word of grace, that we are kept in First Peter 1, verse 5. I was thinking when we were singing that last song that Neil led us, I was thinking about 1 Peter 1, verse 5, that we're kept by the power of God. Isn't that awesome? We are kept by the power of God. We have some opportunities. And, you know, I just want you to look at these. Next September, in my heart, my prayer is, is that, and this could even happen sooner, but it would just be great because we're just growing out of this place. You know, we put the kids in here and the worship team sitting down, and there's like maybe two places left. I don't, I don't know, just not a lot of places left. And some of you... You know, if all of our families were here, we would already be outgrowing this place. And so that's already something that we're starting to think about. What is God's mind about where we're supposed to? I mean, we could add another row here, but I think that, you know, I think we'd scare Neil if we were so close to him. <laughs> He'll be like, okay. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. He's not easily scared. The next 12 months, though, I just think there's a few things that have come up on our radar. And I just want to share them with you and say, look, these are opportunities. Pray about it. Be led by God. And if God's not leading you, praise the Lord. Nobody's expecting anything. My expectation from all of us here is Jesus Christ. And I'm not expecting, um, I'm not here to crack the whip here or anything. But I just want to say, number one, be led by God and don't be driven. But be led by the compassion and the love and the fullness of Jesus Christ. I just want to say, number one, we have such a great need in our youth ministry. Uh, we just, uh, it's just such a great need. I think about it all the time. You know, Kim is out there with the teens today. I know 
some things are in the in 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 the process here, but we really need a team pastor. We need a youth pastor, and that's just I'm praying because if we want to make a a, a big impact, an efficient impact on our generation, we really got to focus on the teens, don't we? Amen. And I know that all of us are praying about that. Please pray with me about that. A youth pastor, a youth ministry. We also need another teacher. We need another couple teachers to, to be in the Sunday school. Miss Daphne has just been so amazing. And again, please, when you hear these needs, remember, need does not constitute the calling of God. The call of God constitutes the call of God. God has to call you and call me to do something. I'm not saying here that because there's a need, you have to do something, but youth ministry. Number two, we have an opportunity that just these past few weeks for the homeless and disadvantaged. Um, something that since I've been here to Houston, I've just seen this and I've never, I've never had a ministry to homeless and I've never had that. I've never even had the desire or the calling to do it. But since I've been here, I've just, that's been really, it's touched my heart, this situation. And I've had a few people come forward from this group and say, I want to help. I want to get involved. I want to help in this way, or I want to help in that way. Uh, pray about that. Pray about the opportunities that we can minister, not just in a humanitarian way where we're just throwing money at people, and none of us believe that anyway, but just where we can help meet their needs, but also put them in an environment where they can just get disciples and just get channeled into. I'm thinking about one pastor, and um, he was a he, he's a teacher in our Bible college in, in, in Maryland, and uh, he was homeless. He was a homeless alcoholic living under a bridge in, in Pittsburgh. Had lost his family, lost everything. And this guy was just, and somebody went under the bridge, shared the gospel with him. He got saved, got into a program, a, a finished work program, not a works program, where, where he began to learn who he was in Christ. He got out of that. You'd be surprised who it is, because a lot of people don't even know, some of you that are from Baltimore, you don't even know who this guy is. He came out of that situation. God cleaned his life up. He didn't clean his life up. God cleaned his life up, put him on a path of who he was in the calling, became a pastor, learned Greek and Hebrew, and now he's like an incredible Greek and Hebrew teacher that sometimes does classes for us. You would never know it. God's just given this guy an amazing wife and a great family. That is what God can do. Uh, Another thing, and this is going to be, this just came up this week. My wife and I got a phone call from... um, someone who is a business partner of Gosha's, and uh, they have an orphanage in Guatemala. I don't know where this is going to go, and I don't know what God's going to do with this. But she said, that's a woman, she said, we go down there and we minister to in a village that just has nothing. And we are down there sharing the gospel. Uh, I, mean, I mean, sharing food and humanitarian needs, but we don't have anybody to come down with us to share the gospel and to do discipleship. And they invited us to go with them sometime and just bring, just bring the gospel and, and come down with them. She said, I would love to have a pastor get involved. I would love to have someone just be involved. And I've never been to Guatemala, and I know that it's very poor. But there's a village down there. I don't even remember the name of the village. But they, they, they invited us. They said, please come. Because um, we share with them, being where we are located, I think one of our Jude- Judeas or the uttermost parts of the earth for our church can be south of the border here. We're so close. Another option here, another opportunity. It's very simple community events outreach where we just show up at a football game or we show up at some event and we just have bottles of water maybe with the gospel and our, you know, a little bit about us. And we're just giving people water. And we just say, God bless you. And it's in a very simple way. But we can just share just 
kind of minister to people. Another idea with this homeless thing is, is that, you know, we're talking to people in the, in the community where we're asking them, hey, you live here. Uh, would you like to donate blankets or would you like to donate something that you're not using in your home that we can bless the, the homeless with? Okay. Using these kind of opportunities in our community and just connecting with people in the community this uh, week before last. And I know I'm kind of going long. I'm going to finish in a second here. But a week before last, I think it was, I went to um, uh, Jay Langston, Jermaine Langston's um, uh, place of, of work in Shenandoah. He's a police officer, and we just brought donuts, tracks, and just blessed, the, blessed these guys. They don't call them donuts. They call them power rings. And we just blessed them all. We just said, hey, this is who you are. This is what we love. This is God loves you, and we're praying for you. Uh, neighborhood studies is another idea. Um, I'm just thinking, and maybe some of you got an email about this. Maybe some of you didn't. Um, I'm not changing anything right now. I'm just throwing this idea out here. Please don't panic or wonder what's happening. But uh, I'm just thinking about when, before we had this building, on, we would have midweek Bible studies in different people's homes. And it, one thing I really liked about it was I was getting to know people's families. I was getting to know people's neighbors. And we were, we were able to, you know, um, each week, uh, sometimes it was once a month. Sometimes somebody had some in their home once every two months. That's just something that whether we do that sometime during the midweek, because I really feel like I would like to be in, in, in people's homes and just, you know, if, the, if that's an opportunity. Some folks, like I know Jason and his wife and others, really travel. I mean, of course, um, Neil and his wife. A lot of people travel very far to get here, you know. And it would be great maybe midweek we could do something in, in some of these areas and get to know folks. And so pray about that. Um, and then lastly, um, three weeks ago, I was approached by two, two businessmen who um, are builders in the area, and they're Christians. They heard about the kind of church that we are, and he himself is just very dis- disappointed at many pastors that, that they, he just says they're lazy, and I don't go to any church because they're lazy pastors. <laughs> And he says, I'm not like, he says, I'm not, the, I'm not a spiritual person, but I do have a heart for, for, for certain things. And he just opened up an assisted, brand new assisted living um, building where there's 100 units. And he said, we need a pastor or we need a minister here that can minister to these, to these folks that are in assisted living. And someone that could just come and just share. And it's a beautiful, I mean, it's a beautiful little chapel. I mean, the chairs look like recliners for the people to sit in. I mean, I would like just to sit in that chair and listen to somebody speak. It's so nice. And that's an opportunity. And I'm praying that God would call someone from our midst and just go down there, and if it's God's will, and say, hey, I'd like to go down there. It's kind of in the direction of it's southwest from here, I believe. Um, and just minister to folks that are at the end stage of their life. And so... These are just some opportunities. We have, we have Bible college classes that we're going to start in September. Pray about that. I would love to, you know, maybe take one class, maybe take a bunch of classes, get your associates, get your bachelors. Uh, these are things that I believe that the next 12 months are things that, that are opportunities for us. But remember, when Jesus said in, in, in verse 35, when he said, lift up your eyes, I think about that. And if you look at that in the original language, the first time that that word is used in the Greek language is in the Greek Old Testament translation of the Septuagint in Exodus 17, verse 11, when, when it says that 
when Moses' arms were up, that, the, that there was victory in the battle. Remember that? That when Aaron was lifting up the arms of Moses during the battle, that there was victory? That's the same word as this word here, lift up. And that means to me that whenever we lift up our, when we look away from ourselves and all the crazy stuff that's going in everybody's life, and we lift up our eyes to Jesus Christ and get occupied with him and about how wonderful he is, that's going to deliver us into victory. We're going to get delivered from our personalities. We're going to get delivered from our situations. We're going to get delivered from a lot of things. Because sometimes, many times, whenever we begin to get overwhelmed with our life and everything that's going on in our life, and it's never going to change until we're in a coffin, when we look away from ourselves and we look unto Jesus Christ, you know what will happen? We're going to get delivered, and we're going to be in a place of victory. I just want to say, um, please know that whatever you do here, it's so important, and it's so awesome, and it's so, so, um, it's so, uh, so needed. And let's not forsake the, the assembling of ourselves together. Let's, you know, meet more as we can. If we have to change some meeting times, you know, like midweek or something, we can. But, but let's draw near because we need that encouragement, that, re- that refreshing, and that fresh vision of Jesus Christ every day of the week. Amen? So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, God, for a vision that only God can give. And it's first the vision of Jesus Christ before it is a vision of doing something. It's a vision of the wonders and the glories of God before it is a vision of doing something.